Everyone doing? Oh, man, Merry Christmas. Hey, we start our Christmas series next. That's the first time I said that all year. So uh, we start our Christmas series next Sunday, and our Christmas series is Home for Christmas. So if you know somebody, or maybe this is you, uh, you've wandered away from the Lord, or you know somebody who has, or somebody who is uh, really discouraged, uh, someone who uh, maybe doesn't have a relationship with the Lord at all, our Christmas series is a great time for you or for them uh, to be here. So I hope that you'll uh, take advantage of the opportunity to invite some people to come with you for our Christmas series. People are more open to spiritual things during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. Uh, it is the easiest invite of the year uh, to invite people to come to uh, some of our uh, Christmas series this year. So hoping people who have wandered away and that uh, they'll come home for Christmas. And so we'll be talking about that every single week. And um, so, but this week is Thanksgiving. Anybody here like turkey? I think you're lying. Uh, it's a large ornamental bird, and we cook it, and, but most of us, we don't eat it the rest of the year. Um, you know, unless it's a club sandwich or something, or, you know, you're at uh, Subway or something and get a sub sandwich. Because, yeah, I, see, the reason I say that is that people really don't like turkey is because uh, most people don't eat Some people eat it, you know, but most people don't eat it the rest of the year. We certainly don't get a, a large 25-pound bird, put it in the microwave and see what's going to happen with it. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, but, you know, here's the other thing about it is that there's no restaurant called Turk Filet. So people are not going, mmm, if I could just get some turkey. Uh, so anyway, if you like turkey, I hope you have a great day. I always, my family always tell them every year, can we have steak or something else? Because that that's more celebrated for me. And they go, no, we're having turkey. So that's what we're going to do, and it'll be delicious, I'm sure. But uh, anyway... Uh, just a lot of really cool things coming up as we get moved toward uh, Christmas. And if you're a Christ follower, it's a time that we can really look forward to um, celebrating the arrival of Jesus and looking forward to him coming back. And uh, if you're a Christ follower today, uh, the message is especially for you. And if you are not a Christ follower, uh, I hope that you will kind of hear why some things are so important to us as we talk through some things today. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to be in the book of Ezra, or if you want to, you can follow along at southcrest.church slash notes. Uh, you can do that. If you've got remoting into your desktop from work or whatever you might be doing right now, you can uh, pull that up and you can uh, kind of follow along. There's some notes on there and you can take notes and email them to you later on, uh, whatever you might want to do, but it's an easy way for you to follow along. The book of Ezra is really, a, to me, it's a story of God's faithfulness. And so we're going to do a, sort of a survey of the book of Ezra today for just a few minutes. And so keep this in the back of your mind. God does what he says he's going to do. God's plans are always better than our plans. His ways are always better than our ways. And when God says he's going to do something, you can count on that happening. It's going to happen. Every single time that God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Now, here's the thing. We ask God to do something, and we expect him to do it in the next 15 minutes, right? God, would you give me a raise? Would you heal my, my sister? Would you do whatever? Uh, you know, and, and we say, okay, I, I prayed. Okay, God, I'm waiting on you. What's, what's the problem? You know, go a little faster, please. But it, it turns out that, that God always does what he says he's going to do. And when God says something in his word in the scriptures, he always, always, always does what he says he's going to do. His word always comes true. He keeps his promises. 
He's not only the promise maker, he's the promise keeper. And you can bank on it when he says that he's going to do something. And you'll see today that God worked over a long span of time to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And so, uh, you know, keep that in mind because God is not just the microwave God. He gets something done in 47 seconds or less, but God is uh, the God of history. And so everything that happens, happens for a reason. And he walks us through those things, shows us those things, and he always is going to do what he said he's going to do for me, for you, for everybody. He's going to keep his word and do what he says he's going to do every single time. So uh, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Now, who is this guy? Well, if you remember, there was a king. Uh, we talked about him just briefly a couple of weeks ago in the book of Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon went and conquered Israel and took them captive and took them back to Babylon. And so they were, uh, they were slaves. They were made to stay there. Uh, they were run over and run through uh, as a country. And so um, a little short time later, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon, which was a, really an empire, was conquered by the Persian Empire. And Cyrus was the first king to call himself the king of kings. And so Cyrus was a, really a tremendous king in the ancient world, probably one of the first, you know, eight or ten most significant kings in the ancient world. Now, Persia is modern-day Iran. So Nebuchadnezzar was uh, in Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq. And so Iran is modern-day is modern Persia. Um, so the, the idea is those guys don't like each other. If you ever wonder why the Iran and the Iraqis don't like each other, it goes back thousands of years. It's, they haven't just been mad at each other for the last 60 or 70 years. They just goes, it's very deep-seated. It goes on for a long time. But Cyrus was the king of Persia, and it says that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. And it says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And here's what I want you to see. That's why I highlight the words of the Lord over there. Here's, here's the deal is that God was in charge of all this, and he wanted this to happen. He desired for it to happen. He didn't catch him by surprise because these events are really significant. And God said, look, this is how things are going to happen. And it says that Jeremiah said this was going to happen. And it turns out that there are three prophets in the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, all said the same thing. They said that because of the disobedience of the children of Israel, that what was going to happen was that the uh, children of Israel were going to be in captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years, they would be released and they would go back home to Israel. And so uh, Jeremiah said that was going to happen. Ezekiel said it's going to happen. Daniel said it's going to happen. God told all of them that that was going to happen. And it turns out that God orchestrates things, even uses pagan kings to bring about his will and to accomplish the things that he wants to see happen. So, and it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. This was not Cyrus's idea, but it was time because 70 years had elapsed and God told Cyrus, this is what you're going to do because God is sovereign all the time, right? It says, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So this is really important to Cyrus, what he's about to say. And it says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, Cyrus, pagan king, not, not a believer in the Lord God. 
He's a pagan king. And he says, but the Lord, talking about Yahweh here, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house. And the Hebrew word for, uh, for temple, it can also be translated house. He's talking about building a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And he says, now whoever is among you, uh, of all his people, may God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So again, Cyrus, this pagan king, says, look, there is a God, and I don't know him, but he's God in Jerusalem, and I'm going to take care of some things. And uh, basically what he does, Cyrus uh, asks one of the Jewish leaders, uh, a priest named Zerubbabel, uh, says, listen, I need to talk with you. Now, I think it's interesting because a lot of us, when we think about having children, think, you know what, I would really like for my kid to have a name from the Bible. <laughs> Just for your consideration. Okay, so I, know, I know we got some babies coming in March and April, and you're sitting there going, mm, and you're thinking about Christmas coming. You're going to tell your, parent, your family, hey, this is what we've decided to name it. If, a, if it's a boy, it's a rubble bell. Okay, if it's a girl, here's a, just, just throwing this out. If it's a girl, Arthurina. Why, why are you laughing? God, that hurts. So Zerubbabel is a, is a priest, and so, he says, and so he meets with Cyrus, and Cyrus says, listen, tell the Jewish people in Babylon, he said, because I've conquered them. It's been, it turns out it's been 70 years. He says, tell them to go home. And, you know, and Zerubbabel goes, really, we can go home? He says, yes, and he says, I want you to rebuild the temple. He said, he said, your God has told me that you're supposed to build a temple, rebuild the temple, so go do that. And so Zerubbabel says, okay, you sure? He says, yes. And so he, not all the Jewish people go back to uh, Israel, but a large portion of them do, and they go back, and so they begin rebuilding the temple. And he lays the foundation and starts building some walls in the temple. Now, some people get kind of upset about that, and they start saying, listen, you know what you're doing because... Uh, the neighbors who are around there in that area where the temple's being rebuilt. Listen, if you let the Jews come back in here, uh, Cyrus, you know what's going to happen. Excuse me. Uh, uh, yes, he says, says Cyrus, says, it's going to cause a problem because these people are going to come back and they're going to be a, a superpower again and they're going to be a problem in the, in the pain in the rear end. You're not going to like that. And he says, uh, no, that's, this is what I'm supposed to do. He says, their God told me to do this. So to get started, and uh, so, <clears throat> anyways, back and forth, starting, stopping a little bit because uh, they get threatened by some other people. And then another, so some time passes, another king comes along named Darius. And he called himself Darius the Great. He was really Darius the Mediocre. But, uh, but, it, but he was, but anyway, he comes along and he says, well, you know what? Uh, I'm looking at what Cyrus said to do. And Cyrus was a great king. And so, uh, um, you guys are supposed to rebuild a temple. How's that going? I said, well, we got it rebuilt. He said, well, are you worshiping there yet? And he says, no, no, we're not. He says, well, you, you should start worshiping. And so he's, he sends them some things so that they can start um, reinstituting worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And he sends them some, uh, some resources so that they can get that done. He says, listen, I want you to get everything finished and, and go ahead and move along with that, right? So they're still they're, they're doing all that. And so, uh, so then a couple of kings later, uh, a guy named, shows up named Artaxerxes. Now, Artaxerxes, he's the second king who calls himself the king of kings because he wants to be just like Cyrus. And so he's doing some research and looking in the royal archives, and he finds out that um, Cyrus had told everyone that he was going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem so that the God of the Jews could be worshipped there again. And so Artaxerxes uh, does a little research on it, looks into it, and 
then he finds something that is a little bit strange. And, and God begins saying something to Artaxerxes. So Artaxerxes says, okay, well, here's what I got to do. I need to tell this to Ezra. So Ezra shows up, meets with Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes says this. says, Ezra, I need to tell you something. And Ezra goes, I'm kind of making this up because I wasn't there. And it's not, just the conversation is not written in the scriptures. But, you know, maybe he says, okay, what you got to tell me? And he says, look, we have treasure cities. The Persian Empire has these treasure cities. And he says, and some of the stuff was left over from when Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered the Jews. And he said, so there's a treasure city. We think it was about 50 miles south of where present-day Baghdad was. And he says, so he takes Ezra, or a representative of Artaxerxes takes Ezra to one of these treasure cities and um, takes him to like a house, but it's a big house. It's like a vault, no windows, just a door, heavily guarded. And what they had done, they had the things that they had taken when they conquered other nations, they would put them in these basically vaults. And so it's been sitting there for a hundred years. And so all the things that Solomon had ordered to be built for the temple, all the gold and the silver with the the, the, the shields and the rituals of worship and all the other things that had been built in the temple and had been stripped out of the temple when the Babylonians overran the Jews are in this vault. And just imagine, and, and, and maybe Ezra didn't even know this because there's no internet, no Wikipedia, uh, nothing going on that he could have kept up with this. But, you know, somebody says, look, this is the stuff that was taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And I mean, just imagine Here's this, this Jewish scribe priest, and they open the door, and Ezra sees all these things that no Jewish person has seen in a hundred years. And just, I mean, the emotion that must have swept over him. And then Artaxerxes says, all of this is yours. Take it with you and go back to the temple and put it in its rightful place. And, of course, Ezra just completely overwhelmed by that and just, wow, realizing that God has stirred in the heart of pagan kings to do what he said he was going to do. You know, he said he would set them free, that they would return to their homeland, that, that they, would, um, they would have their wealth restored, all, all those things. He says, listen, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, and so Ezra is overwhelmed by this, and, and so they says, well, you've got to take this. And so they start unloading it out of this vault house building uh, in this treasure city, and they start unloading it, and it turns out it's 25 tons of gold and silver. And everybody in the room is thinking, man, that, that's a great problem to have. You know, you'd like the bank to call you and say, hey, we found out that someone owes you $25 million. We've got it here for you. Can you be here this afternoon to come get it? Yes, I can be there. So anyway, and so Ezra's just overwhelmed. But then, and, and, so, and the king says, okay, I want you to take this with you. And so Ezra's like, okay. And then this thought comes over Ezra. Look, it's just me. I'm a Jewish, I'm a Jewish priest scribe, and I've got some other people who, are, who I can get to go with me. But we're going to be going through the desert, and we're a caravan, and we don't have an army, and we don't have any armed guards. And, uh, you know, uh, we're probably going to get killed and robbed because you just don't walk through the desert with 25 tons of gold and everybody says, oh, we're just going to let you go walking through here. It's a 900-mile journey. It's a four-month journey to go from this treasure city to where um, Jerusalem 
and the temple is located. And so Ezra, he starts praying and fasting and said, God, what should I do? Because he doesn't want to go back to uh, Artaxerxes and says, hey, listen, I told you that my God is powerful, but it turns out my God's not as powerful as I thought because he can't protect us while we take this treasure back. So how about if you send an army along with us? He says, I'm, I don't want to do that. He, he talks about in the book of Ezra and said, so God, I'm going to trust you. I want you to show yourself that you're stronger than the God of Artaxerxes. And so, um, and so they keep praying and fasting and Ezra says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he gets 24 other guys. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide all this up. So I don't know, maybe they each take a ton. I don't know how it worked out. But they divide it up into 25 different lots, and they put it in wagons. And so they're, they're going to transport it back to Jerusalem. And he says, but here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to go a different direction. Uh, so we're not, we're not all going to leave at the same time, but we're all going to get there at the same time. But let's don't follow one another. Let's don't make one giant caravan. So there's 25 of us. Let's take 25 different ways to get there. And hopefully, by the time we get there four months from now, at least some of the treasure will, will show up because there's no way all of it will show up. So they say, okay, and they, they take off. And so it turns out about four months later, because uh, what Ezra told him to do, he says, listen, I'll meet you in front of the temple, bring it to the temple in Jerusalem, and when you get there, we'll put it in the temple. And so it's, he gets there first, and they've all had an agreed-upon time that they would arrive there. And, you know, Ezra's probably sitting there going, well, I made it, but I don't know if anybody else will. And then... He gets word, there's another caravan coming. There's another group coming. There's another group coming. There's another group coming. And it turns out all 25 tons of gold and silver, all 25 groups of people arrived there safely after a four-month journey. None of them have been harmed, and they put everything back in the temple. And so what God did is that God restored the nation, he restored the temple, and he restored the wealth because that's what God said he would do. And see, we think, oh, he's got to do that by Tuesday. But God said, look, I'm going to take, I told you it was going to take time, but this is how it's going to work out. And that's what God does. So when I was reading through the book of Ezra, there are three or four things that really stood out to me. The the first one is is that God gave favor and opportunity to the Israelites. God gave favor and opportunity to the Israelites. what What do you mean by that? God said, did what he said he was going to do. He said, look, I, I, I told you that there was going to be a, even though you, you disobeyed me, you walked away from me, you forgot about me, you didn't think I would show up, you didn't think that I would hold to my word, I did what I said I was going to do. I cannot lie. And so I'm, I'm showing you favor in spite of the fact that you were disobedient to me, in spite of the fact that you walked away from me, that you ignored me, that you didn't have time for me. I, I showed you favor. I'm giving you opportunity. I'm giving you opportunity to grow in your relationship with me. And so what I think about is that God gave favor and opportunity to the Israelites, but God has also given favor and opportunity to Southcrest. I haven't been here very long. I've just been here a few weeks. But I've been praying for you for months. And some of you have been praying for me and my wife Lori and my kids for months. Even before you knew our names, you were praying for us. And one of the very first conversations I had with guys on the vision team is I said, there's these four G's on the bottom of the website. I said, I like those. I said, tell me about this generosity one. I said, because most churches are not generous. Most churches don't even want to talk about it. And I said, well, tell me why that's so important. I don't really like what they said. 
Because, see, Jesus is generous. Christ followers, we have this reputation for being very stingy, tight-fisted people. If you, you think, no, we're not. When you go eat lunch today, ask the person who's waiting on you at lunch. Ask them, do they get big tips from the church crowd on Sunday? You ever waited tables? Nobody likes waiting on the church crowd on Sunday. Because typically we say we're very generous, but we're not. Right? But, but, but I love the fact that, that South Crest was, 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 was generous. And, you know, and, and I got here and I started looking. And, you know, because I was here a few times and y'all didn't know I was here. I said, there's something different here. The, the people here are different, and God, I really sense that God is doing something incredible here, that there's an opportunity to, to reach our communities in, in, in Noonan and in LaGrange and online and other communities too. Because the plan is not just to stop where we are, but to keep reaching other people, other places, Right? And I sat here and thought, man, there's just something remarkable going on here. And you probably don't know this, but a couple of weeks ago, some of my very best friends um, came here. And so we're walking around uh, before the 11 o'clock service, and they said, Arthur, do you realize what's going on here? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, Arthur, there's something different about this church. Have you, have you figured that out? Like, yep, I have. I said, Arthur, these children's facilities are really amazing. I went, yeah, I know. I said, so Arthur, this is, this is really a special place. I said, yes, it is. I said, that's why I'm here. And so I said, I'm not just saying that to be nice. I'm telling you somebody's never been here before and knows what they're talking about, comes in, and they sense the spirit of the Lord here. They see the facilities that God has granted us here and in LaGrange, and they go, wow. I wasn't here when Southcrest started, and you were meeting at Northgate High School. But there are some of you in this room, and you were at Northgate High School. And let's be honest for just a second. You never imagined it would look something like this, would you? What has God done? There are people in this room, and you came to know Christ through the ministries of South Coast. You didn't even know you were in the dark and, and, and God called you into the light. There are people in this room, your marriages have been put back together. The, the relationship with your children is better, that, that you feel like that, that you understand the working of the Lord more because of what has happened here. And so God has given us incredible favor here in spite of the fact that maybe we've walked away or we've, nah, I don't need you so much right now, God. And then we come back and go, God, I need you a whole lot. And, and God's given us an opportunity. Listen, we are so poised and ready to reach far beyond the walls of this building, far beyond our campuses. We have almost limitless opportunity to make a huge difference in the lives of so many people. There are tons of people moving into, into our communities, and we get the opportunity to to do something for them, to show them the love of Jesus. And so we've got 
incredible favor and opportunity. The second thing I noticed is that Ezra took courage. Ezra took courage. Because he could have said no. Now he's like, Arthur, nobody says no to 25 tons of gold. Maybe not. But he could have taken it for himself. Or he could have said, no, I'm not going to do it. Find somebody else. I don't want to lose my life. Ezra took courage. Look, look at this. It says, uh, this is from uh, Ezra 7. It says, blessed be the Lord. So it gives all the credit to the Lord. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this. He said, look, this was not my idea. He said, God did this into the heart of the king, into a pagan king. God says, look, I'm going to use you in such a way that you're going to accomplish my purposes. He says, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And it says, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. And then look what it says next. It says, I took courage. For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Let me tell you something. The hand of the Lord is on us. God has not forgotten us. God has not abandoned his promises. God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But you know what we have to respond with? Courage. We have to respond with courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward in spite of fear. Okay? So let's just chat for a second. Maybe you feel a little afraid because of something that has happened. Something that was said or wasn't said something that someone did or didn't do. And you're like, and, and, and maybe you're concerned about things that have been difficult in past days. I get that. But also, I believe that God has given us favor and opportunity And we can choose to look to the past or we can be courageous and walk into the future with the Lord. Look, I understand disappointment, frustration, fear. I'm not so sure. I get that. But I also have talked to hundreds of people that have said, hey, look, we're ready to get back in the game. We want to reach our communities for Jesus. You're like, look, I'm ready to step up and get after it. To be strong and courageous. See, because here's the thing. God has given us an opportunity, and it's a window of opportunity. And we can step through it, or we can sit back and watch it go by. I haven't been here very long, but hopefully you figured out by now. I'm not the guy who's going to sit around and watch it go by. I'm going. I'm asking you to go with me. There's too much at stake just to sit and watch. Let's get after it. Let's reach people who are far from God. Let's see God do things that we never imagined that he would do.
but it takes courage. But the good news is, is that we are more than conquerors because Christ Jesus is in us. Third thing, God provided Israel with all they needed. They never even knew that they had all that. And I'm sitting there going, wow, God, that would be so awesome if you would do that. I mean, I would love it if Bank of America would call me tomorrow morning and say, hey, Arthur, uh, we just found a couple hundred million dollars and we need to give that to Southcrest tomorrow. I would love that. Listen, those, that's the easiest 50 phone calls I would ever make. Hey, can you bring your minivan to Bank of America tomorrow morning because we need to, we're going to get some cash and fill up your minivan. I mean, those are easy calls to make. Can you come help? Yes, that would be great. And, but but here, here's the thing is that I sit there and go, ah, wow, that would be really good, God. But, you know, I realize that, that I don't have to do that. I just need to remind God's people. Because, see, here's what happened to me five or six weeks ago. Somebody told me, hey, Arthur, we usually do a Christmas offering around here. I said, awesome. I said, great. That'll be a lot of fun. Tell me about it. I said, okay, well, we'll do this. And, you know, I started thinking about that and praying through it. And, you know, and I, I really sat there and thought, God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, I didn't hear some audible voice like the drive-thru speaker at Wendy's or anything like that. But, you know, I really felt like that God was, was leading me and to do something. I was like, God, I don't want to do that yet. I said, I haven't been here long enough. And he said, it doesn't matter. You know, God, see, God talks to me differently than other people. He said, he said boy, why don't you get the lace off your drawers and be a man? He's real Southern with me. <laughs> and uh, so I said, you're right. And so, you know, here's the thing is that um, we've got all that we need. God's already provided it. It's just I needed to remind everybody today. So that's what I'm doing. Um. You know, we have um, this year, uh, between January 1st and December 31st, we'll probably give about somewhere between $1.8 and $1.9 million. Uh, and that's, that's remarkable. Uh, that's a real trait of a, a generous church. Um, and, um, but if we were to give to our capacity, um, our giving would probably be about $8 million a year. And the amount of things that we could do. I'm not talking about building bigger buildings and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about stuff we could do for the Lord. It would be incredible. And, and even if we didn't, even if, if everybody didn't give to their capacity that God has given them, if we just, it's just if half of us did that, it would still be uh, four, four and a half million dollars a year. See, here's the deal. Luke twelve thirty four says, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you, you ask yourself, you know, what's really, you know, what's really important to you? And you, you look where you, what you do with your treasure. And your, your heart gets attached, right? I have three children. 
I have a hard time not giving them too much. I, I love them so much, I have to stop myself from giving to them. Now, many of you as parents, you're probably the same way. You're like, I, I, I love my kids so much, I want to do this for her. And, this, and you're just like, stop, I'm going to go broke. I'm not with my wife. I say, hey, sweetheart, you like this dress over here? I'd really like to buy it for you. She's like, oh, I don't need that dress. We're good. But these shoes... <laughs> See, when you love somebody, you have to stop yourself from giving. You don't give out of guilt or because you have to, right? And so there's this idea of giving, and really, this is very complicated, okay? This is very, very complicated. It's complex. For most of us, it's going to be way over our head because we were really good with math, and we struggled, you know, maybe like me, and you did four years of remedial math when you were in school. Okay, so, you know, so, so look this way for just a minute because this is very complicated, but I'm going to try and take something that's very complicated and explain it in a very simple kind of way, okay? So God's plan is, for those of us who are Christ followers, is that every time that you get 10 of these, you give one to the ministries at Southcrest. See, I know it. I knew it. it. Went way over our head, right? Okay, because it's, it's percentages, it's math. Some of you are saying, "Oh God, it's a story problem." Okay, I know. Okay, so look, let's do that again. Okay, let's back up. Okay, let's back up. Okay, every time you get ten of these, you give one to the ministries of Southcrest. Okay, so every time, let's, let's okay, let's make it more complicated, right? So every time you get a hundred of these, you give ten. Every time you get 1,000 of these, you give 100. Every time you get 100,000 of these, you give 10,000. Every time you get a million. <laughs> right? 100,000, right? We got that? Okay. Just want to make sure we're following along. It's not algebra, okay? Bible calls that tithing. Now, as one of your pastors, what you need to know from me is that Lori and I always give more than 10%. I think that you should expect that from me. I always say leaders go first. So, and some of you go, ah, that's a lot. Look, look at it this way. If you were broke and you need a loan, and you ask a guy, ask a friend of yours, say, hey, listen, I really need some money. Can you help me out? I don't have anything. And the guy says, well, how much do you need? He said, well, $10,000 would be great. He says, okay, I'll loan you $10,000 on one condition. He said, well, what's the one condition? That you only pay me $1,000 back. You'd go, yes! Right? But when it comes to, to the things of God, we go, no, 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 I, I can't do that. And some are going, Arthur, Arthur, stop, stop. You're making me uncomfortable. Too much. Look, this is important. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, this is vital as a Christ follower. Look, listen, I'm going to talk to you about serving like nobody's business. I'm going to talk to you about inviting people here over and over and over and over again. Uh, I'm I'm going to do that. Look, I'm going to talk to you about... uh, uh, about volunteering places. I'm going to talk to you about loving people. I'm going to talk to you about having a great marriage. I'm all those things. 
So I'm going to talk about all that, and this is part of it. It's not the only thing about being a, a, a growing in your relationship with Jesus, but it's important. And it's the way we live our lives. Look, we're not, you know, at some point we may come back and say, hey, we're going we're to do a, a capital campaign for three years or something like that. That may come at some point in the future. But see, if we just do this, we never have to have that conversation. Look, I would never ask you to make a three-year commitment to your wife or three-year commitment to your husband. I would say make a lifetime commitment to them. I would never ask you to make a three-month commitment to your child. I would say, I'll make a lifetime commitment to them. So why do we say, well, God, I'll make a three-year commitment or a one-year commitment to you. Why wouldn't you say, I'm just going to give to you as you ask me to give back to you? Imagine what we would be able to do if we were to do something like that. So that's tithing. Sometimes we have an offering. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about this, and I said, well, let's do something big. Let's just don't do an offering, a Christmas offering. So we're calling it the Christmas Project. So, and you can follow, there's a card in your seat. You can kind of look at that as I talk through this real quickly. And there's, there's four numbers that are really important here. It's 30, 10, 5, and 1. All right? So what are we talking about? We're talking about for our, uh, for our Christmas offering, we're asking, because we want to do something that every single person could participate in. So we're saying, uh, look, every, we're asking every single person, would you be willing to give $30 toward the Christmas offering? $30 for each person in your family. There's five in my family. That means $150. That's, what I'm, uh, that's my suggestion, a, a place to get started. Uh, and uh, and to, to give that by December 16th. Now, here's what you need to know about this Christmas offering is that 100% of it, every single penny is leaving here, okay? 50% of it is going to go to our local partners in LaGrange and Noonan, and the other 50% of it is going to our South Crest missionaries. I don't know whether you know this or not, but we have uh, five missionaries serving in places around the world. Some of them are are serving in places I can't even tell you where they're serving because it would put them at personal risk if I was to tell you where they're serving. Now, you might not have even known that because I didn't know it until a few weeks ago. And so they're our people, and we're going to fund them, okay? We're going, to, we're going to make sure that they're not worried about putting gas in the car or food on the table because they are risking literally their life for the gospel, and so we are going to get behind them and shove, okay? We're going to get behind them. Uh, we're going to be good senders of the people that God has called out to serve in missions in different places around the world. And so that's what this Christmas offering part of it is. Now, if you want to give more than $30, that's great. Look, some of you could write a check for $10,000 right now and not even miss it. You say, Arthur, how do you know? Because I was out in the parking lot about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Dang it, why did he say that? All right, so 30, so 10, we're talking about on December 2nd, asking each family, would you bring at least 10 pounds of food? And we're just going to pile it out in the lobby at our campuses. And there'll be this huge mountain of food. Uh, We're hoping to give almost two tons of food to local food banks so that people don't go hungry. Uh, That's the idea behind that. Five volunteer, five hours between now and December 9th. Would you volunteer five hours somewhere other than church in your community, in your neighborhood, with people that you work with, uh, with maybe some of our first responders? There's all kinds of information that you can find on our website about that. And, uh, and then the, one is, would you invite uh, at least one person to our Christmas Eve services? I promise you, our Christmas Eve services are going to be different than uh, maybe that you've seen before. We're going to, and, and we want a lot of people who are far from God here. We want to see uh, dozens, maybe a couple hundred people coming to know Christ at our Christmas Eve services. But 
would you partner along with me and invite them here? I am making a, a commitment to invite at least 100 people personally to our Christmas Eve services on the 24th. And so uh, that's what uh, that's talking about. And so you can find all of this, all this information. We set up a microsite just for all this. It's noonanchristmas.com. Everything is right there. And then also, if you're in LaGrange, it's lagrangechristmas.com. So you just, and everything about our Christmas projects are right there on those websites. And then the other thing, you flip that card over, there's a calendar on the other side. Uh, and just want to hit a few uh, hot highlights real quickly uh, about things that are coming up next Sunday, the 25th, is that uh, we start our Christmas series, Home for Christmas. Uh, and then the following week on December 2nd, we're asking everybody to bring at least 10 pounds of food per family to donate to our local food banks. Um, and then uh, on December 9th, uh, we're having a family worship day at our campuses that day. And what does that mean? That everybody, uh, kindergarten, uh, four-year-old and up, we're all going to be in here together. We're going to have a great family worship time. Uh, we're going to do songs that all of us know and that we can have. Uh, I'm going to uh, interact some with some of the children who are going to be here. We're going, they're going to kind of help me uh, preach some that day. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be an incredible, fun kind of day. Uh, so a lot of good things happen that day. It's also the day we want to turn in our volunteer hours and see how do we do and uh, walking around and praying for people in our neighborhoods and uh, and serving people that at, at work and in the community. Uh, on December sixteenth, um, uh, that's the that's our deadline for giving toward our. Uh, uh, toward our missionaries and our local uh, mission partners uh, here in uh, Noonan and in LaGrange. So all that happens on the 16th. And then uh, a couple things to let you know about on the 23rd and the 24th. December 23rd is a Sunday. Um, And so we're not going to have services at our campuses that day. We're going to have online services at uh, 9, 11, 1, 3, and 5. And so at any point, you gather your family together, and you can have a family worship time uh, together. It'll be led by uh, the – I'll be teaching something uh, especially for – that would be good to watch online. And we'll also have some uh, worship that you can do uh, online as well as family. Then this year, uh, Christmas Eve is on December 24th. Also, next year, Christmas Eve is on December 24th, but it happens to be a Monday. So on Monday, uh, we're having our, our Christmas Eve services, and would you invite someone to come with you? Now, listen, you've got invite cards. You can actually you, you can talk to people and invite them here. There are, are web forms that we've put together that you can just email people and just uh, and, and um, invite them. You can use, uh, I think we set up something for uh, text messages to do as well, but I'm sure we did something for, uh, that you can use for email. And here's the deal. We are going to use reserved seating for our Christmas Eve services. And it's not tickets, and we're not charging anybody. We're not being exclusive. Here's the thing. I would hate for somebody who is far from God and shows up here, and and they're taking this big risk because if you don't know the Lord and you show up at church on Christmas Eve, because that is the easiest time of the year to invite somebody to come to church, then there's no easier invitation than coming to Christmas Eve. Okay? I don't want them to show up here and we say, well, we don't have a seat for you. How about you stand over there against the wall? So we're doing reserved seating so that we know that we have a seat for everybody who's going to show up. Okay? So that's what that's about. It's not, you know, it's not tickets or anything like that. If we're, we're using a free ticketing uh, website 
just so that we can reserve seating. And we'll tell people, hey, look, our the 5 o'clock service is full, so maybe you should consider being 3. And I'll tell you this, if after the early services today, people have already started giving and already started making reservations, uh, seating reservations for Christmas Eve services. So uh, you don't have to wait to do that. Uh, and so you don't have to bring, the, bring anything with you. That just lets us know and tell people that uh, so we're not overflowing to the point of being uncomfortable. Does that make sense? This is yes, this is no. Awesome. Okay. So we've got the opportunity to be generous, not just say that we're generous, but to be generous. Look, if we could do these things on this card, not only would that demonstrate to people around us that we are generous, that we don't just talk about it, that we really are, not only would it make a humongous impact in LaGrange and Noonan as, as we get behind these other ministries and just say, look, we really do love you guys and we appreciate what you're doing. Not only when we give are we going to see more people come to know Christ, but you're going to get the privilege of being generous. And as your pastor, I want that for you so badly. I want you to know this deep joy that God brings into your soul when you are generous just like he is. I want that for you so badly. And so I say, let's go. Let's be generous. Let's do more than we ever thought we could. Let's be the faithful people that God has called us to be.